folks, a very warm welcome to our latest generation podcast on audio and on video. And unlike me and my guest today, Chris Kandaya has got a face for video, not just for <laughs> radio. Um, and, and Chris is a little bit known in Scotland, perhaps not all that well known. What is Chris Kandaya? Well, he's uh, <laughs> maybe he'll tell us, but he, you know, he uses the, the line or others use of social entrepreneur. He, he does a, a bit of this and a bit of that. He's the Del Boy <laughs> of you know the Christian world. He dabbles here and he dabbles there. Chris, a very warm welcome. <laughs> Thank you, David. That, that's the first time I've been called the Del Boy of the evangelical world. I'm, I, I'll own that. It makes me sound like a bit of a chancer, but. Uh, Maybe an opportunist. Maybe, maybe that's okay. <laughs> no, you've got that great kind of London home counties accent, which we love. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So what I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about lots of things. I don't know where our conversation will go, but there's an initiative that you are really involved in called UK Hong Kong Ready. Tell us about it. What's the story? Well, I've had an interest in Hong Kong since I was a young boy because um, my dad's cousin um, lived in Hong Kong and his son was studying in the UK. And so every Easter holiday or half-term break, uh, he'd come and live with us um, just because he didn't, couldn't afford to fly back to Hong Kong, so he'd come and live with us. And then in 88, um, my mum and my sister and I went to Hong Kong to have a look around and we were kind of blown away by the, the busyness of the city. And I was uh, last in Hong Kong in 2019, which feels a long time ago now. And I was there, and it was in the middle of the um, the kind of protests. Uh, so many of us saw those protests around the world, didn't we? Some, some would say there was a million people on the streets. Often they were singing hymns, like sing hallelujah to the Lord, as they kind of went down those streets. And those protests were connected with the pro-democracy movement. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to um, interview Joshua Wong, who's one of the leaders of that movement. And uh, he talked very openly about his faith, actually. Uh, He said, my name is Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 in the Bible, it tells us we're supposed to be very strong and very courageous. And I said, yeah, you're you're right. It talks about, you know, meditating on the word of the Lord. Uh, You know, what what does that mean to you? And he kind of opened up a little bit. And I had the privilege of sharing that on Radio 4 um, on the Sunday program because, uh, you know, we had all the right tech in place to be able to make that happen. But I stayed in touch and I heard more about the kind of Hong Kong activist movement. And then I became aware that there's a, quite a number of um, activists that fled to the UK, um, mainly because Heathrow Airport was open and you couldn't go to Sydney or you couldn't go to Vancouver because those airports weren't closed. So a whole bunch ended up here. And um, friends of mine were trying to offer kind of emergency hospitality to them. So I got in touch with the Home Office to say, hey, what, what can we do for this group? And that's when I became alerted to, whoa, it's not just a few hundred activists that are coming to the UK. Um, the UK has opened this route called the British National Overseas Visa Route which anyone born before 1997 uh, and their descendants are eligible to come to the UK. And just just to know the numbers, the Home Office's conservative number is 130,000 Hong Kongers will come this year. And by way of reference, the um, this is the largest planned migration to the UK from outside of Europe in a generation. Um, the, the, the previous largest one was uh, the East African migration. 
That was 70,000 people over 12 years. So this is nearly double, but in one year. And they're expecting up to 500,000 people to come in the next um, three years. That's a huge number of people coming to the UK. And my feeling is, um, you know, moving continents is difficult. Uh, moving continents in the middle of a global pandemic is really hard. Uh, moving continents in the middle of a global pandemic when you don't have, you know, a great command of the English language, and many Hong Kongers recognise that about themselves. Um, but on top of that, there's been a spike in race-based hate crime, uh, particularly to people of uh, Southeast Asian and East Asian appearance. And we've seen some of that work out in America with the recent shootings in Atlanta. Um, but locally here in the UK, many people are experiencing that. There's, according to a group called the COVID Anti-Racism Group, um, there's been a 300% spike in race-based hate crime towards people of East Asian and South Asian uh, background. And some of that is linked to comments from um, then President Trump, Hong Kong fluey, you know, uh, Chinese virus. Um, but it just seems to have kind of layered on uh, currently. So I think when people move to a country, that's a fantastic opportunity for us to show hospitality and welcome. That for me is part of the DNA of what the church exists to do. And this large group of people, actually, we're finding, we've found a survey of people moving to a particular borough in London. 40% of them would claim Christian faith. That's way more than the normal population in Hong Kong. But the group that are coming seem to be at least disproportionately Christian. So for me, that's you know another reason to help. We want to help anyone that's in need, but we have a particular responsibility to help brothers and sisters. And when the Windrush um, generation moved to the UK, one of the great travesties of, of the church is that they were not welcomed. I've heard countless stories of people, often people telling me about their parents, that their parents turned up at church. Um, and, you know, many of them were Anglicans uh, back in uh, the Caribbean, and they come here, they go to an Anglican church, and they're told you know, our congregation are not comfortable for you to worship here with us. You'd, you'd be far better off down the road with people that are like you. And you think, what? When did we start being racially selective about who we wanted to worship God with? You know, hasn't anyone read the end of the book of Revelation? It's going to be every tribe and tongue. What are you going to do? You're going to tell people that, that you're not comfortable to worship God with people of colour? <laughs> where are you going to go? Well, you know where you're going to go. If you're not comfortable to worship with God's people, you're really stuffed, aren't you? And there's a there's a particular place uh, made for you. Um, so I think now's the opportunity for us to to you know, deal with that skeleton in our in our closet, offer the welcome that people need, both to Christians, but offer, offer hospitality and help to neighbours. And we've just seen a tremendous response from the church across the UK. Okay, yeah, I'm going to unpack some of that. Hong Kong, Ray, so are you trying to encourage churches to be open? Will that mean that churches will have to have some self-reflection and look at the way they do things? Definitely. So Hong Kong ready in two dimensions. So one is we want to be ready to receive and welcome fellow Christians that are moving to the UK. Uh, interestingly, um, the Chinese communities in Hong Kong and in the UK are quite divided. Um, there are two main political 
affiliations, if you like. Uh, one is the blue movement, which is more kind of pro-establishment, and the other is called the yellow movement, which is more pro-democracy, and it, it's typified by those guys that were demonstrating on the streets. In Hong Kong and in the Hong Kong church, you will find people of both blue and yellow persuasions. Often, and this may be a caricature, the older you are and the wealthier you are, the more likely you are going to be blue. And often the younger you are and the poorer you are, you tend to be yellow. That's, that's often how it works. Now, those same divisions are here in the Chinese communities and the Chinese churches. And some, sometimes that means that a Hong Kong family, Christian family, moving to the UK might be wary about turning up at their Chinese church because they're not sure about the political affiliations. Even even more, I've I've heard from you know non-Christian Hong Kongers moving to the UK going, um, I'm going to move somewhere where there are no other Chinese people because I, I don't trust that there aren't spies from the Chinese government. So that would be terrible, wouldn't it? That if people came to the UK, they weren't feeling comfortable or they weren't welcomed by people from their ethnic origin and they weren't welcomed by the white majority churches, that would be a double travesty. So here's what I'm doing. I'm bringing Chinese churches and you know majority um, white churches, if you like, together to say wherever you want to worship God, there is a welcome here for you. We are not going to bar you because of your ethnicity or because of your political affiliation. Jesus is bigger than that. He isn't blue or yellow. He isn't um, Chinese or Brit. He's, he's bigger than that, and you're welcome here. So that's one part of it. And I think there's a redemptive opportunity. We can learn from the lessons of the past of how we treated other races. Let's do better for this group. Um, And the second thing we need to do is offer that neighbourly help. People moving to a new place, they need people that can help them navigate the system. You know, I remember I moved to Albania as a cross-cultural missionary. I didn't know how to do the most basic things. I didn't know where to buy milk from. I didn't know where I needed to register or, you know, where would I go if if I'd had an accident? I didn't know any of those things. And I needed to rely on lovely Albanian neighbours to help me. Well, Christians are called to love our neighbours. Let's be those neighbours that can make a difference in people's lives. Yeah. Something, again, I want to unpack there, you know, the, the Christian faith is, is a missionary faith that loves people to, you know, be disciples of Jesus. It's telling people to follow Jesus. Um, it really is excited about that. One of my worries, Krish, is that folks see everybody, especially others, as simply conversion material, you know, do you think that's a bit brutalist and minimalist? And how can we, how can we go bigger than that? Yeah, that's really important. Sometimes there's a theological framing of that, that we have reduced the mission of the church to evangelism. Um, and the Bible doesn't let you do that. It, it's weird. The people that say the mission of the church is evangelism haven't actually got a strong grasp of biblical theology. They've got a very reductionist view of biblical theology. Um, There's a whole seminar series on on, on that for you one day. Um, So, you know, and and to be honest, I was schooled in that tradition. That's part of my background. And weirdly, it was becoming a adoptive parent that changed my mind about it. There are bits of the Bible that I had just skirted over that were absolutely seminal. So, you know, from my tradition, um, as a, I know, a very conservative evangelical, the only chapter in the book of Isaiah that really mattered was chapter 53, because that was an evangelistic text that allowed me to talk about 
you know, Jesus's death being predicted in the scriptures. And, and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And, and I, I absolutely value it. But th- there's this verse in 2 Timothy, isn't there, that, that says all scripture is God breathed, not just the bits that are useful. <laughs> 2 Timothy 3.16, that's right. Not just the bits that are useful for an evangelistic conversation. All scripture is useful. And if you read Isaiah 1 and you read Isaiah 58, you'll realize how important caring for the vulnerable is to God's heart. In fact, in Isaiah 1, it tells you that God is fed up of our religious gatherings. He detests our meetings. Why? He's talking to his people at this moment. He says it's because you haven't pled the cause of the widow and the orphan. And Isaiah 58, you know, I'm I'm fed up of your fasting. You know, your fasting is a complete waste of time. Why? Because you haven't shown me the kind of fast I'm interested in, which is to feed the hungry. Um, So when we reduce the Bible down to just a few evangelistic texts, we're actually editing God. We're putting God on mute and we're being selective in what we want to hear from him. The whole of scripture reveals the whole of God, right? So I think if we had a, a stronger grasp of the scriptures, we wouldn't see others as evangelistic fodder. We'd recognize that we have a responsibility as human beings made in the image of God to love people made in the image of God, because the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor, and they're connected. We show our love for God through our love for for neighbor, and we we show our love for neighbor by making sure we're doing our best to help them experience the love of God. So there is a connection, and when we take those two things apart, we're in a, a form of Gnostic heresy, and that's really dangerous for us to church. I think that, you know, that's a great conversation to have. And it's a really difficult conversation to have because I often find that when I have it, I'm wondering, you know, if folks are listening to me because immediately they say to me, you know, are you a liberal? Are you a universalist? No. And I'm kind of saying, oh, hold on here. You know, you think of, you know, the Billy Graham tradition. That was great. You know, make a decision, walk the walk, walk the aisle. You must be born again. That's non-negotiable. But it's more than that. You know, the gospel is not just John 3.16. It is John 3.16, but it's it's bigger than that. Oh, it is. It is. And and it's to have that conversation, you know, without folk immediately getting worried that you've sold out. No. Um, I think it's important that we become more biblical, not less. That's the accusation that people that care about you know, justice, compassion, hospitality, mercy, they're they're the woolly liberals that don't take the Bible seriously. But if you take the Bible seriously, then you'll only be interested in evangelism. That is to misread the Bible. That's what's scary. So I think we both need to meet in Scripture. And, you know, Scripture needs to hold us both to account. It's, It's the whole of the Bible commissioning the whole of the church into the whole of God's mission. That, that's what needs to happen. So in terms of Hong Kong ready, you know, folk coming from Hong Kong, they may be Christians, they may be atheists, they may be from other faith traditions. Um, th- this is going to really help churches to, you know, go on with what I read a great thing that you wrote recently. I don't know if it's recently. You said that both Christians and atheists have prejudices. Now you've got about five or six jobs going on. I can <laughs> what, what you do, but a, a lot of what you do is you are working with you know secular people. Has that helped you 
really stop, respect, and figure out what atheists are. So comment a little bit about that, Christians and atheists, both are prejudices. So my current job um, that, that I get a regular payment for is I'm the chair of the Adoption and Special Guardianship Leadership Board, which is a public appointment that I was called to by the Secretary of State for Education after a you know interview process, etc. So I, I, I'm working with and for um, the Department for Education, um, and and it's been really exciting. You know, my history has been working with Christian charities, Christian mission organisations. Um, I love the fact that they know that's where I've come from. I, I knew these people when I was the other side of the table encouraging the government to take seriously why there's a racial disparity, why black children wait the longest, or what do we do about unaccompanied asylum-seeking children? You know, how do we help them? And I was I was bringing the church to say, look, we want to help. And now I'm inside the tent, but they still know I'm Christian. So it, 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 it's, it's great. It's been a really lovely experience. And I've been doing a, a lot of faith literacy training um, not just for the Department for Education and social workers, I've done it for the Ministry of Justice, the uh, Foreign and uh, FCDO, it used to be the Foreign Office, now the Foreign Commonwealth and, and Development Office, I think it's got a new name, um, and, a, and a whole bunch of other Cabinet Office, Treasury, um, and, and we'd ask the question, you know, should government do God? That's the question we ask. Um, and, and I'm trying to help build some bridges, find some common ground to say, look, we all come from somewhere, you know, uh, we all have a view of the world, you know, some, some of us are old enough to remember uh, books like James Sire's The the Universe Next Door, we talk about worldviews, or uh, you remember Francis Schaeffer, he talked about presuppositions and all, all of that. We all come looking at the world loaded with ideas and filters that stop us seeing the world as it truly is. Um, and Christians come with one and, and atheists come with one. In one sense, we all have been shaped by our background, but we believe there's a truth out there, a universe out there that's real, um, and it's in conversation with someone else that you can spot your own prejudices and you can spot your own presuppositions. I don't realise I've got an accent until I meet someone that's got a different one. Right? You've got an accent. <laughs> you can see it, but I can't see it, right? It needs to be in conversation with someone with a different accent that I'm aware that I've got one. Most people, many people in our country don't realise that they've got a view of the world. They've got a pair of glasses. So I'm, I'm, I'm organising these faith literacy events to say, actually, look, we, we all have a set of beliefs that we um, have ultimate values, commitments um, about the universe, about what's important, and we just need to be aware of that and then let's find the common ground. And actually, we've got more in common than we have that separates us, but that's not to um, belittle those differences. Those differences can make a huge impact on our lives, uh, but we're ready to have a conversation now. So to say, you Christians over there, you've got faith, and we atheists over here, we've got rationalism, I go, well, hang on. You know, you make some assumptions in your rationalism and we make some assumptions in our faith. Don't don't say we're coming at the world completely differently, um, but there's a space we can have a serious conversation and we don't have to agree in order to be colleagues, to be, uh, you know, working together for social change. We don't have to agree on all those things. Um, so there's good that we can do together. That's how I can work with the government department. Um, but I'm holding on to my Christian 
identity. And I'm really open to a conversation with that if you want to. Um, but in this workspace, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to help kids get adopted. And you want to get kids adopted, we can find some common place to work there. But I'm ready for that other conversation whenever you are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I became a Christian during the 70s and there was a lot of sense kind of crazy theology at that time. Yeah, miracles of God using, you know, Hal Lindsey, Lake Great Planet Earth. Oh, yeah. This world is rubbish and it's going to be dissolved. Uh, ironically, it's only recently I've come to appreciate, you know, my own Scottish Calvinistic tradition and the Dutch neo-Calvinism, mm. which talks about common grace. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the fact that if an idea is... A good idea, it is God's idea. Yes, good. So, you know, even from my own tradition of common grace, uh, you know, theologians like Herman Bathink in, in Holland, yes. uh, and all that, you know, the earth is the Lord's theology. So kind of reformed sovereignty of God theology has got me out of my silos and recognising, you know, this is God's, you know, world. You know, it's revolutionised my life. Yes, yes. Two, two, two comments there. Uh, so one is that how Lindsay, you know, the world's rubbish and we just need to get as many souls off of it as possible. Uh, I think that has been an incredibly influential idea, not just in the traditions that think they have deliberately chosen that, but across the board. I think if you examine the gospel that many evangelical churches, and not just evangelical churches, Pentecostal, charismatic churches, assume it is a gospel informed by that thinking. So, you know, go, I don't know, when I became a Christian from a Hindu background, the diagram that helped me was a version of the Bridge to Life diagram. I don't know if you've seen that. So there's you on one side, and there's God on the other side, and then Jesus is the bridge. And, and that diagram communicates some really important truths that I really value, right? That, that, that the cross is the only means by which that we can find salvation. That's absolutely important. But think about the direction of travel. You were once on this side in this world and you need to leave this world over the bridge of the cross to come to this new world that God's made. So what are you supposed, what, what, what's your responsibility to that world that you've left? Nothing, it's escape. So we, we have an, I call it an escapology theology, right? We need to get out of this, get out of this world and, and hive off into some little, you know, cosy Christian huddle and the world can go to hell. You know, we have no responsibility there. But, but that's in antithesis to Jesus's kingdom theology, that the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, what's going on with that? That doesn't sound like we're supposed to get off the sinking ship of the Titanic, rescuing souls up off to heaven. That sounds like we're supposed to be salt and light and dig in and bring transformation. That sounds more like Jeremiah 29, you know, bless Babylon, seek the welfare of the city where God sent you. So that gospel has been so harmful that it's reshaped our whole politics, our mission, our church practice. And we need a, a bigger, more biblical gospel that doesn't take a few proof texts out of context, but allows even, even just the, the four gospels to shape who we're going to be as the church. So I, I think that's absolutely vital. And, and the other thing you're saying about common grace, I think, you know, that those of us that, that say we love Paul and his teaching, look what he does. Look what he does in Acts 17. 
He quotes pagan prophets, not because he thinks everything their pagan prophet ever has said is true, but sometimes they hit truth and there's a common space. And, and that generous, I mean, it, he's generous. He, 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 he's read them, he's understood them, he's quoting them, but he's also orthodox in that he will challenge them. You know, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. You're, you're completely wrong in your practice, but you hit gold when you said, in him we live and move and have our being. And I think we can have that relationship, that finding a common ground relationship, not just at a theoretical level, but I think you can have it on, a, on the ground level. So I'm happy to partner with government or with civil society that's saying, look, we, we want to show hospitality to newcomers. I want to show hospitality to newcomers. I'm driven by my faith to do it. Great. As we do that, there's going to be all sorts of opportunities to talk about why, and we'll end up talking about Jesus. Because, yeah. I mean, it's self-evidently a good thing. I mean, folk talk about, you know, wokeism and the woke movement. Now, mm. you know, we're not going to go there, but, you know, there's a, a lot of stuff there that's crazy, but there's a lot of stuff actually that society prophetically is saying to the church, listen, don't laugh at us being woke. You know, let's, let's talk about racism. You know, you are a person of colour. You've got an interest in race. Um, it, it seems to me that, that the church is beginning to wake up. You spoke about the Windrush thing. It's connected mm. a little bit of a Hong Kong ready stuff. Our direction of travel, Chris, on race, do you see light at the end of the tunnel here? Um, <laughs> sadly, it depends on which day of the week you catch me on. Um, you know, I, I, ultimately, yes. Our direction of travel is to be gathered around the throne of the Lamb and every tri tribe and tongue singing glory to Jesus in yeah, their languages, the, the, the right? Before <laughs> you, you know. So I, I think it's a pretty up and down journey. Um, I, I still think we really wrestle with it. And it's really sad to me that it takes global events to influence the church's thinking. We should have seen it already. It's there in the Bible. Why are we so ridiculously myopic in our scripture, scriptural understanding? Um, you know, we, we, we need to recover a biblical mindset when it comes to humanity and race and justice. And we'll only get that if we go back to the scriptures, but we, we do it in conversation with people that aren't necessarily in our tribe. What happens is you get a tribal reading of the Bible that manages to exclude the bits that challenge us. And actually the bits that challenge us are the bits we need to hear the most rather than, you know, hearing again and again, the things that you already believe. I, I've been to so many places where I'm preaching a Bible passage and people go, oh, you didn't mention penal substitution. I'm going, yeah, the reason I didn't mention penal substitution is it wasn't in that particular text, right? Now, you could crowbar it into the text, but really you should be saying, well, what was God saying to me through this Bible passage rather than did you tick all my orthodoxy boxes? That's, that's part of the way the tribal reading goes. So when it comes to race, I think that there are some huge opportunities right now. We are having a global conversation about race. The, the death of George Floyd triggered something. And it, it, it was, I don't know whether it was um, amplified because of lockdown, but, you know, that, that triggering didn't just last a week. You know, people told me that they remembered when Martin Luther King gave his um, I Have a Dream speech and how it prompted people around the world to kind of do things. 
but it only lasted a few weeks. The Black Lives Matter awakening lasted many, many months. The challenge has become that the Black Lives Matter movement has become a polarizing element. And I've seen Christians become caught up in that polarization. So I've heard people say that the whole of the Black Lives Movement is um, anti-Christian. It's driven by a Marxist ideology. Uh, there are LGBT you know, um, undertones to it. So therefore, Christians need to reject the Black Lives Matter movement. And the problem is when you say that, um, some people just hear that to be racist, that you're rejecting the the central core of what Black Lives Matter stood for, which was to say black lives are as important as everybody else's and we need to focus on them because they're under threat right now. And when you say we're against Black Lives Matter, it sounds like you're being racist. But equally, I've heard Christians basically say, uh, I'm fully supportive of everything of Black Lives Matter. Um, and people then start talking about things like white fragility, for example. And it's very difficult to have a cross-racial conversation when one group seems to be saying that white people have no opinion and just being white automatically makes you racist. So, so neither of those extremes are helpful. Like we reject everything of Black Lives Matter or we embrace everything of Black Lives Matter. I was always taught that you eat the fish and you leave the bones. And, and that's what Paul does in Athens, right? He says, guys, uh, when it comes to worshipping idols, you're totally way off there. But you hit gold here when you said, in him we live and move and have our being. Let's meet in the common ground. And I think Christians need a discerning relationship with any cultural movement. Um, but it shouldn't have taken a Black Lives movement for the church to do something about race. The, the early church was incredibly prophetic on race. Um, there's an amazing Scottish theologian, I hope you know him, Andrew Walls. Um, a brilliant missiologist, and he talks about the Ephesian moment in church history. And I love it. I love that the, the, the book of Ephesians is, is a brilliant book for us to be reading to talk about the racial conversation, because Paul takes on the biggest division in the ancient world, which was between Jews and Gentiles. Um, and many Gentiles looked at people who weren't, um, you know, uh, Greek speakers or, or Latin speakers as being barbarians. You know, they were they were they were savages and, and primitives. And, and sadly, many Jews looked at the rest of the world and saw them as just you know fuel for the fires of hell. So you've got these two groups that are mutually exclusive to one another. And Jesus is the one that blows up the dividing wall, right? Blew up the wall between Jew and Gentile. And he didn't just stop there. At the end of um, a lot of Paul's letters you get these household codes. You know, um, it, it's as if Paul expects in the reading of these letters, in the public gathering of God's people, that you would have husbands and wives, men and women in the same room. You would have slaves and free. Oh my goodness, you know, a, a slave was an object to be owned and a, a, a master was the owner. But somehow this divide, which is even bigger than race, that was bridged in the church. So, there was something going on in the church. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, young and old, were being addressed in the church. And it was through that coming together that the manifold glory of God was revealed. So we shouldn't have needed Black Lives Matter to realise there's something prophetic when we, the church, have a so supernatural sociology. People can't explain why we're together. We're not just a demographic group. The only thing that binds these people together is the love of Jesus. 
And, and that's when the gospel begins to shine. All men will know you're my disciples because you love one another. Well, when that love crosses every human boundary, that's when the gospel shines brightly. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm fully on board that the church needs to play its role in racial reconciliation. And we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my job, I'm a mission director for a, a denomination. And I always say to our churches, listen, I, I want churches to be bigger darker and poorer you know what i mean by that is i want to see growth you know growth i want to see darker a bit of a racial mix not everybody called mcleod and mcdonald and nichols (laughs) i want to see meredith and kandayas and and poorer you know a greater economic you know that's uh, right yeah yeah and you know hopefully we we are seeing that the sad thing is though david that, that some of our missiological movements because they weren't informed by scripture again. They were for, informed by um, uh, some some form of uh, oh, what's the word? Almost almost a utilitarian mindset, uh, pragmatism. So the homogenous unit principle yeah. that we would deliberately try and plant churches where people didn't have to cross a social boundary in order to come to church. That is anathema to what I understand Jesus was doing and the early church was doing. No. And it's it's why we've got a ghetto-wise church. It's why you've got a rich church and a poor church, a youth church and a black church. There's something prophetic about us gathering across those boundaries. So we've got to allow our praxis to be informed by theology and scripture. And the sad thing is, sometimes it's, it's a theological challenge that the theologians are not practitioners and the practitioners are not theologians. And you need both of these people to come together. Um, that's that's why you need, you know, seminaries, but seminaries not full just of people who are expert in understanding. You need seminaries that are full of people that are expert in understanding and practice. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the churches that we are closing just now in, in my network are all homogeneous. They're, they're all the same people. Now, these people are basically evaporated. They don't, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> so, you know, there's nobody going to them. So we have to replant the church. Now, you've got a thing coming up uh, soon on race. Are you doing it online? Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. It's called More Than a Colour. And um, I'm trying to create a safe space to have a difficult conversation about race that doesn't just end up triggering people into their ghettos but allows scripture and practice to inform what we actually are going to do um we, we we've done one already it was sold out and so we're doing another one on the 23rd of april um, if people follow me on social media at krish k i'm talking about it a lot because i'm excited I, I think it's a great moment for us to set the pace um on what racial reconciliation could really look like in the church Okay, so let's come into land now. Uh, Hong Kong Ready, how can churches engage with this? The easiest way is to go to ukhk.org slash church. ukhk.org is primarily a, a website focused on helping Hong Kongers. But if you go to slash church, that shows you how your church can sign up. Um, it, it's a process. We've had a thousand churches start the process to um, become Hong Kong ready. Um, we really need to make sure your GDPR is up to speed because someone is going to be referred to your church from our um our website and because we're handling people's data we need to do that well so follow the process through and you can become a hong kong ready church which means you'll be on the map and if someone moves to your town and again 
Um, people think, oh, it's only going to be the big cities that people can come to. Actually, I've met people deliberately going rural because they're scared. Um, and they can, Hong Kongers can come to Scotland. So put your church on the map. Even if all you're doing is adding to the symbolism that the church from the top of Scotland to the, the bottom of the UK and Wales and Northern Ireland is here for you, that's an important message. So why wouldn't you want to be part of it? Chris, that, that's great. Again, as a denomination, we are absolutely behind this. We're going to promote it. We're going to try and get our churches. And again, what you said, rural churches as well. It will help churches, you know, figure out what they're doing missionally. Diaspora is a huge element in, in mission just now. You know, the, the world is all getting mixed up. And that, that's that right. always been thus, but this is another movement. What's encouraging me, David, is is partly because of lockdown, um, that anyone in your church can be helpful here. So say you're a person who really can't get out of their house, even before lockdown, you couldn't get out of your house. You could still be on the end of a phone to someone who's just arrived here and doesn't understand how to get on a bus. Like you could explain that to somebody. So it's an incredibly empowering thing that all sorts of people, young and old, can get involved with. So yeah, be, be fantastic to have your churches on there. Chris, thank you so much. You've been generous with your time. You've been Zooming all day and you've got a few more Zooms to do yet. Uh, wish you every blessing. And, you know, if you want to know what Chris is up to, at Chris K, this is hashtag. Just Google him and you will find out what he's into. Uh, thanks a lot. Blessings upon you. Amen. Amen. And generation watchers and listeners, thank you uh, for joining with us today. We look forward to another good session next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.